Lachlan Trust, each relationship matters, and we know that your relationship with money may be complicated and may need some extra love and attention. But where do you start? I'm Julie Beckham, the Financial Education Officer at Rockland Trust, and this is the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. What you should have done and could have done, didn't know and should have known, doesn't matter anymore. There's no use spending one more minute blaming or shaming yourself. Because really, with everything going on in the world right now, you don't have time to get down on yourself. And you don't deserve it. We're all in this together, starting now. And like I said, there's no shame in this money game. Well, welcome to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. I am really excited because it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yay! I don't know if Hallmark is aware of this month or there's any cards being produced, but here I have Jim Murphy, who is the Senior Vice President, Director of Enterprise Information Security at Rockland Trust, to talk about Cybersecurity Awareness Month and all the things that we need to be aware of as consumers. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you because this is so important. Scams and fraud attempts can happen anywhere, but on the internet, it is huge. And it's a huge area of concern when it comes to keeping our information safe, especially since we do so much of our business, personal business, work-related business on the internet through our phones. In your career, how have you observed the need for increased cybersecurity awareness? So uh, historically, for years, there used to be uh, hackers and malicious uh, intruders trying to gather and steal information. This has been happening for many, many years, going back to the early days of the Internet, where people would receive emails with funny games or executables. They launch the executable, and they basically insert malware in the machine. Some of this malware could be used to intercept what's been written on the keyboard. So as you're typing your password and user ID, that information is collected. And there was a big push about 20 years ago to get home users as well as small businesses to improve their security, to make sure that they had basic uh, cybersecurity hygiene, make sure that they had antivirus, making sure they were patched. We're all used to hygiene now, right? So the the, the word hygiene is associated with washing our hands, but <laughs> you're, you're talking about security hygiene. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. So security hygiene, um, when I refer to that, is to make sure that your machine is fully patched. A lot of times, a lot of newer applications, if you're using Windows, Windows would automatically update in the background for the home users. Years ago, you, that didn't happen. You had to manually perform the updates to get the security patches for your machine. A lot of the third-party applications like Java, Adobe, is automatically getting updated and patched, which is great. It makes it a lot easier for home users as well as uh, IT professionals where they don't have to manage the patch management cycle every single day. So that's one basic component. Make sure your machine is supported. Make sure your machine is fully patched. But additionally, to make sure you have antivirus and you have a subscription. A lot of times when you buy a brand new PC at Best Buy or Staples, you get a trial edition for about 30 days or a year. And after that trial edition expires, you are no longer protected. So a lot of home users would think that they, since they have the antivirus installed, they're up to date. But if they're not licensed and they're not receiving the daily updates, they may not be protected. Oh, that's really good to know. So technology is advanced so that a lot of these programs automatically 
are checking for viruses, but as far as your actual personal PC, you could be just on a trial basis after buying one and not have that security moving forward if you don't subscribe. That's correct. And, and that's like one basic component. And additionally, some other considerations is patch management is a great concept. Hopefully, your machines, your devices are doing automatic patching. But ideally, you also want to make sure you're doing backups. If something happened to your machine and it, it had a failed hard drive or you got infected, you want to go back to a good backup so you can restore those files. I'm going to back up here to emphasize backing up. So much of our lives, our photos, our memories, not to mention important personal or financial documents, are stored digitally. If you have ever been a victim of not backing up your files, you know what I'm talking about. So you can get an external hard drive if you want, or you could just copy important files onto a flash memory device, or copy them onto another computer. If you want to have everything on your computer automatically backed up, you can buy backup software. Any way you back up is better than not backing up at all. Be sure to put backing up your files on your Cybersecurity Awareness Month to-do list. Recently, I've been hearing the news in the industry, uh, ransomware is a very big and prevalent that's affected many, many organizations across the World Wide Web. Recently, there was an incident with the Colonial Pipeline which affected a lot of the uh, gas supply in the South and the Southwest, where customers weren't able to get the gas to those gas stations. Colonial Pipeline got uh, infected with malware and they were ransomware, which basically meant that when they got ransomware, all their data was encrypted and they weren't able to recover the data. So it's always good, uh, good practice to make sure you have good backups and the backups are actually uh, in good working order. For many organizations, as well as Rough and Trust, we test everything to make sure our data is good, clean, and is uh, considered good hygiene. We never had an issue, which is great, and we want to make sure that we never get in that situation. But a lot of the companies who do get infected with malware, that's the, usually the biggest attack factor. Once you get infected, they're going to encrypt your data, and you won't have access to your data. Wow. Okay. So as I was going to ask you that about what companies do to keep our information safe, because it seems as though individuals need to be responsible for their their personal information, but companies, like you're talking about, have a, a huge responsibilities. So what specifically or in general do companies do to keep this data clean? It depends on the complexity of the business. For a home user, most home users would use probably a free email would be Gmail, Hotmail, or Outlook.com. And usually those providers are pretty good about cleaning email, looking for malware, viruses, and they would block those emails for you. If you're a small business, you might have a very small firm, you buy a service, and depending on the cost you're willing to pay for it, you may choose to subscribe to different services to make sure it's the email is clean, that you're not getting phishing emails, you're not getting spam. But if you choose not to subscribe to those services, you could be compromised. As organizations get larger and larger, you, you have more resources and the ability to deploy enterprise solutions like Rock and Trust. So we've always been deploying uh, enterprise solutions to make sure our employees and our customer data is protected. But if you're a small business owner and you have a very small IT staff or you outsource it, you may not be putting all the protection mechanisms in there to make sure that spam and malicious emails are, are being filtered and blocked before it gets delivered into your inbox. Specifically over the last year and a half, there's been so many entrepreneurs and, and people who've kind of taken their side hustle and made it a business. And this is another layer of protecting your business. 
Correct. Now, getting a little bit closer to the individual here, what are some common mistakes that you see consumers are kind of doing every day that could be putting them at risk? The biggest issue that we're seeing is password reuse. I think a lot of people, because they like the convenience, they may use the same user ID and password across multiple authentication applications. They might use the same user ID and password for their email, online banking, Facebook, and that's a bad practice. If one of those application providers gets compromised and someone gets those credentials, then they have the credentials for any other application you're using the same credentials for. Jim is referring to something you may have heard of called credential stuffing, a type of cyber attack in which stolen account credentials, typically consisting of usernames, passwords, and emails, are used to gain unauthorized access to user accounts on a large scale. Creating unique, meaning not used more than once, longer, more complex usernames and passwords is a way to prevent this type of attack. But there's another solution that doesn't involve having a dozen or more unique usernames and passwords. And Jim is just about to talk about that. So keep listening. We always recommend to our customers to make sure that they use unique passwords and ideally unique user IDs. And that, I think that's a big shot to people. Like, why would I use a unique user ID? Well, if you are compromised in a breach and you're affected by one incident and you use the same credentials across multiple applications, you more likely you're probably going to be compromised at a later date. So... I hear you and I'm listening to you and I feel like if I am going to embody the other listeners, I'm, I know that this is the best practice to change my password, to not have the same one, to alter my usernames, and that it is dangerous to keep all of these things the same. Yet it's like being at the dentist when they ask you if you floss every day and you're like, oh, I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many ways you can store your passwords, but then so many ways we're told not to store our passwords. So how can you make it easier for those listening to embrace this, to really protect themselves in this way? There's a solution out there called password managers. Many of uh, the newer web browsers like Chrome, Safari, and Internet Explorer, which is being retired and decommissioned in 2022 by Microsoft, they actually have a new browser called Edge which has the ability to do password managers. So in the security community, there's some pros and cons about doing this. If you use a password manager built into the browser, you at least can get some prompts saying, hey, you're using a password that's been reused on other websites, or it even has the intelligence to say, hey, that password you've used is actually being compromised, so we suggest and recommend changing it. I would strongly encourage folks to use that technology in those browsers, on the security community, some people say, well, geez, that's not really safe to put all your passwords in a password browser extension. I've actually uh, deployed a solution myself that I use, and it's called 1Password, which is a cloud-based password vault. It ties into all the different ecosystems, whether it be Apple or Android or Windows. And anytime I go to a website, I'm prompted to use the 1Password to enter the username and password. Yes, it's true. You can actually have just one password. I know, it seems unreal. But a password manager, and there are many, Jim just happens to be talking about a company called 1Password, is a software application designed to store and manage online credentials. Usually, these passwords are stored in an encrypted database and locked behind a master password. So all you need is the master password, and the password manager takes care of the rest. If you were to ask me if I knew my username and password for all those websites, the answer is no. I know one password is my master password, and that's the only password I know. 
I allow the password manager to make the decision for me on choosing a good password and choosing a unique user ID. So many of those applications where I go to, would it be Dropbox or LinkedIn? I don't know what the username and password is. The password manager knows it, and it's contained in a secure encrypted file that no one has access other than me. So that one password, outsourcing your password protection to something like 1Password is a safe alternative. Oh, it definitely is a safe alternative. It's much better than doing nothing at all. So there's always risk when you do something. If you choose not to use it, you're risking that it could be compromised by some application. You, get, you don't get notified. If you use that solution, you will be prompted and be notified if your passwords have been compromised. If that gets compromised, you can always change the passwords again. But it's always better to do something versus nothing. And I think historically, people have chosen not to do much with cybersecurity hygiene. If you take those additional steps, you're basically improving your cybersecurity hygiene on the World Wide Web. You make a good point. It is better to do something than nothing. I just think many of us like to bury our heads in the sand, and, and we're not fully aware of the risk of doing nothing. So, okay, if a listener wants to do something but maybe isn't ready to subscribe to one of those many password managers, what are secure passwords and usernames they can use, and, and what makes a safe password? So over time, a lot of the computing resources have improved over the last 30 years. 30 years ago, it would take you a very long time with the computational power to crack a password. It's pretty simple these days. So the longer the password, the more complex the password, the harder it is to crack it. Every password can be cracked. It's just a question is, how long are you willing to wait to get that password cracked? So ideally, I usually recommend that we use characters of 14 characters, at least as a minimum starting point up to 22, 25 characters. That makes it very complicated for somebody to know a randomized 25 character password. That's why I always recommend using a password manager. But the basic thing you should always do is make sure is at least, I would recommend 14 characters, uppercase, lowercase, special character, and a number. A lot of people use passphrases where they try to remember some type of passphrase, but you insert some characters into that passphrase so you can recall it. I wanted to give an example of a passphrase. Instead of just a word or your name with a number and a symbol that just meets the criteria like Julie Beckham 1, exclamation point. It's a phrase that uses numbers and symbols in a way that you can remember, like Rose Nylon at 65 Miami, exclamation point. Now, you might not think this is intuitive, but because it's not my name, but a sitcom character I love at the at symbol at the age of retirement 65 in miami with an exclamation point i can remember it that is what a passphrase is and i know that Cybersecurity awareness month is not meant to be fun really but i have to say it was kind of fun to invent a passphrase so try it again it makes it very complicated for consumers and end users to remember all those passwords that's why using a password manager is much more easier they provide you that option. But if you want to, you can always write it down, which is not recommended. But if you have multiple websites, it's going to be very hard for you to recall all those unique passwords. Writing it down on a post-it note next to your computer that says passwords or in a little book next to your computer <laughs> or in the first drawer that says passwords is probably not a way to celebrate Cybersecurity Awareness Month, correct? 
That is absolutely correct. Okay. Now, multi-factor authentication. I sign up for something. I don't have my phone with me. It sends me a code. I have to go back and get my phone. What is this multi-factor authentication and, and why is it important? Sure. Multi-factor authentication, or 2FA, which stands for two-factor authentication, is used interchangeably. It's a way for you to log on to authenticate as using two-factor. The first factor is your username and password. People would always say, isn't that two-factor? No, it's actually one factor. So when you log on to a website using just your username and password, that's a one-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication is when you use a different authentication method. You could receive a one-time passcode to your SMS text messaging. You could also receive an email, or you could use a third-party application like Microsoft Authenticator or Google Authenticator. You receive a one-time code, and you enter it into the system. That's what's considered to be two-factor authentication. I would recommend to all the listeners they should use multi-factor authentication for any application that offers it. Many, many applications are requiring multi-factor authentication. If you're a customer with Brooklyn Trust, you are required to do multi-factor authentication, do online banking. So it's a good practice and a good hygiene to make sure that you're authenticating the person who's logged onto the website, not just using a simple username and password, but also a two-factor token so we can authenticate that customer or that employee make sure we know who they are. I had a friend say that it it uses multi-factor authentication uses what you know, which is your username and password, and what you have, which is your phone. You always have your phone on you. I'm impressed. Well, you talk to enough people about cybersecurity and you learn a few things. Okay, now switching gears and assuming that we're flossing, right? We're, we're doing what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. What do we need to do to keep our children and our parents or grandparents or other vulnerable family members safe? This is a good question, Julie, because I have parents and I have uh, young children, and it's a delicate balance. A lot of younger people who are familiar with the technologies and the different applications, it's hard to keep abreast of what's happening in the industry. There's so many new websites and web services. It's hard to understand what's out there these days. And unfortunately, everybody's trying to go after people to go where the money is. They go after the weakest link. Unfortunately, people that are small businesses that that doesn't have a lot of resources to focus on cybersecurity and IT, they're also targeted. But so is senior citizens and young children. Unfortunately, there's a lot of despicable people in the World Wide Web trying to take information, data, or sabotage or blackmail individuals in the World Wide Web. The only thing I would recommend is for your family, loved ones, is to keep an eye on them to see what they're doing. My children, I do watch what they're doing, make sure they're going to websites that are appropriate. I'm a little more into IT and security, so I have a little more visibility on what they're doing. But it's good to make sure you, you know what your children are doing, make sure they're going to appropriate websites, to not reveal personal information, where they live, their full names. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of sick people in the World Wide Web that if they get information, they may try to blackmail people who might not be knowing what's happening in the World Wide Web. With your uh, senior citizens or parents, again, keep an eye with them. I know a lot of senior citizens do fall prey to authorized individuals trying to get into their home PCs. They offer support. They call telephone numbers and they say, well, this is Microsoft support. I see you have a problem with your PC. Do you want me to help you out? Microsoft never calls out to the customer saying, hey, we can offer support. 
that is a phishing attempt where they try to get credit card information off the senior citizens and they charge them a monthly bill for a service they don't need. Rockland Trust not only has in-person and virtual workshops for seniors to help protect against consumer fraud, but we also have produced a series of videos called Spot the Scam. And these videos address how to spot scams on the phone, in your home, and on the internet. These videos and information about our interactive workshops can be found in the Learning Center under Financial Education at rocklandtrust.com. So just keep an eye on your friends and families and loved ones. Make sure that enough succumbing to that type of fraud or they're giving away personal information that could be draining their funds from their accounts. We all really need to work together with our friends and family members about this because there's no shame in this. Identities get stolen, people fall victim to fraud, and it's really hard, especially for senior citizens to admit when this happens because, well, it's embarrassing for them. Aging is a vulnerable process in itself and add to it feeling like you can't keep up with the technology and it's just really tough. Definitely. And there's a lot of resources on on the World Wide Web. The government agencies, DHS, the Safe, Secure, Connect websites. There's a lot of public information that's available for parents, teachers, even small businesses or large organizations to look at. There's a lot of recommendations on what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. And it's a lot of good information that we can definitely share with others to make sure they're aware of what's out there in the public web. They could actually review and, and take an action on what they should be doing and also educating others. I will list this site in the show notes for the podcast, but in case you're taking notes on your own, you can learn more from the National Cybersecurity Alliance at staysafeonline.org. Being Cybersecurity Month, education is a big, big thing. No one's going to be an expert in everything, and it's unfortunate there's so much information out there. You have to be able to share information with your customers, your colleagues, your family. Make sure everybody knows what's out there and what's available to them. No one's an expert in everything, so it's very hard to get all that information out to everybody. But these resources on the, on the web is very useful for individuals to pursue. Now, here's my my stop, drop, and roll question for you, Jim. What do you do if you feel like your personal, or you feel, or you actually know, you get an alert that your personal information has been compromised? So I think the first thing you do is uh, make sure you sign up for free services. Many of the credit card companies offer FICO scores, which is nice, but it doesn't really tell you what's happening. Um, If you see your FICO score going up and down, why is that happening? The three major credit bureaus offers consumers to enroll uh, in a one-time service. Once a year, you get your full credit report to review what's happening. During the COVID-19 pandemic, accessing your credit is important. That's why Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are continuing to offer free weekly online credit reports through annualcreditreport.com. It's important to note that this is to access your credit report not your credit score, so you can check for any fraudulent activity. Typically, you can access a free credit report from one of these three credit reporting bureaus each year, but they've increased this free access so you can check weekly until April 20th, 2022 at annualcreditreport.com. And knowing that information as soon as it happens is important. Even if you're doing an annual credit check that you can do for free once a year, don't forget to do that on your vulnerable family members as well. The senior citizens in your lives, remind them to do it. And if you have 
teenagers who are in college or just after college, their credit could be being used and they don't even know, they don't even know if they have a credit score yet. So that's something important to check as well. Especially if you have young children, it's very unfortunate. If you have, once your child is born, you get a social security number, you may not use it until they turn 18. And when they start applying for loans or applications for colleges or cars, they realize that people have taken money out on their name. So it's always good to monitor not just the adults, but also the children in the family to make sure no one's using their identities. And then when they go to use their information, they find out that there's a 20-year-old loan that's been outstanding that was tied to their name. Wow. All of these warnings are out there for us, and we just need to not bury our head in the sand and learn from this. This is such an awakening, and I really appreciate your expertise, Jim, and these warnings and ways that we can become educated. And it sounds as if, if I'm going to summarize, we can use technology to our advantage using one of these 1Password, outsourcing the way that we can protect ourselves. We don't have to do it all alone. We can actually use technology to our advantage to help us keep ourselves and our loved ones more secure. Definitely agree. Awesome. Okay, well, you know, this is the No Shame in This Money Game podcast, so a little gaming aspect here. I'm just going to spin my spinning wheel and ask you a random question. So hold on one second. Okay. Okay, if you could create a new holiday or awareness day, what would you celebrate or teach and why? So it's funny, going to Cybersecurity Month, which is October, I, I don't want to say it's a national holiday, but I definitely consider it to be a national holiday that's actually looked at each and every year in the cybersecurity profession. Many people probably don't are not aware that Cybersecurity Month is during the month of October. That's something I think we should keep on promoting. A lot of the public websites like DHS and other security communities, they offer a lot of free information I was mentioning earlier. That is something we probably should not just do just once a month, but continuously throughout the year to make sure people are aware of what's happening in the environment. Awareness is a big issue. And I know at Rockland Trust, we try to educate our employees and our customers on threats that they should be aware of. There's always a new threat that's actually happening in the environment. We spoke a lot today. And I think there's something that ever changes with technology. What you're doing today may not be as good as the end tomorrow. So that's something we have to keep on making sure people are aware of what they're doing. The example, you're talking about the passwords. Writing the password and putting the keyboard is not a good practice. And you need to be reminded of that. And each of us need to tell our colleagues, our friends and families what they need to be doing and what they should be doing. So I think cybersecurity awareness is definitely what I want to promote as a, I guess, national holiday, but also something to consider about each and every day as we're doing our day-to-day interactions with our friends, our colleagues, and our customers. It sounds as though it should be as habitual as washing our hands, right? Exactly. Keeping all of our information secure and clean. Well, thank you, Jim. And one more question I ask all of my guests. Since Rockland Trust is the bank where each relationship matters, if you could use one word to describe your relationship with money, what would it be and why? I think the word I would probably choose is consistency. I think for everybody, if you get into a pattern where you're trying to save or pay down debt, if you're consistent, you will get there. I know I have a lot of friends of mine who, uh, right after college, they invested in the 401k and they're doing very well now approaching retirement age. And I think that they had a consistent pattern. Same thing with your investments, your retirement accounts, paying down debt, paying down your mortgage. 
if you're consistent, you should do well with your money. If you're not consistent and you're doing things ad hoc, you're never going to get ahead. And I think that's what I've learned over my lifetime. Consistency does matter. And it's something like a repeatable pattern that you can do over and over again. Thank you again, Jim, for your expertise during this interview and for cybersecurity in general. Thank you, Julie, for having me. I appreciate uh, this opportunity. This was fun. And anytime you need me again, feel free to reach out. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast brought to you by Rockland Trust, member FDIC. My name is Julie Beckham, and yes, I do take requests. So be sure to email your personal finance questions and curiosities to me, your host and your educator, at julie.beckham at rocklandtrust.com.